This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome, welcome. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. We are here for you. We are here for your pets. So anything you want to talk about is game. And a couple of ways to get a hold of me. Number one, you can always reach us toll-free, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. But better yet, join us here live. Join us here live on Pet Life Radio. You go to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows. Scroll down to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. There will be a Zoom link left for you there, right there. Click on the link. Have your pet with you, your dog, cat, whatever, and uh, we can talk. And also, we have our simulcast with our Instagram, my Instagram Live. And again, same thing. If you have any questions, you can always join in. I do want to talk to you. So if you have any specific questions that we don't get to on the show, all you need to do is send them to me. Send me a message on Instagram, and I will get back to you. And uh, we can have a conversation that way, make it more personalized, whatever. But I do love to um, talk. Every time I'm leaning forward, just so you know, it's not because I love this mic. It's because I'm just trying to hit the waving back to my uh, followers on Instagram. And we already had a good question, which we can talk about. Raw versus Kibble, we'll get to that. So I just hope everyone had a great week. I will be possibly live next week. I will be in Las Vegas. So um, anyway, just to get started, I like to peruse the news here. And I found some interesting stuff. Look, if I find it interesting, hopefully you find it interesting too. I see a lot of stuff that I like because it's, but it's all medical. It doesn't work for you because you, you can't do anything about it. That's, I can't even do anything about it, but it's good to understand it. But here's some good stuff that experts say, this is kind of stuff that affects all of us, me as well, because I have to teach my clients things. And as I learn new things, that's, uh, I mean, it's great for them. It's great for their pets. But by reading a dog's body language, all right, especially signs of stress or anxiety, dogs may start displaying undesirable behavior. So if we don't recognize the clues they're giving us before they actually start exhibiting undesirable behavior, it's on us. Examples, sometimes the dog rolls on his back and exposes his belly. That's great. He wants to be rubbed on his belly. No, that could be a sign of stress or anxiety. Yawning, excessive panting. Now, yawning, I knew, is, is boredom, anxiety. Panting, you think, oh, God, they're excited, they're overheated, you know, whatever. Sometimes if they just sit there and it's they're in good temperature, they did not come running from outside, they have no reason to be tired, and all of a sudden they start panting, that could be signs of anxiety or stress. So it would be good to know that if they start exhibiting that bad behaviors, like destructive behaviors, like excessive barking, vocalization, things like that, they let us know. They gave us the signs. We just didn't know how to read them. So um, I always say, it seems like they can read us way better than we can read them. They can read our facial expressions. Uh, you know, just absolutely amazing. All right, next up, all that great training going to waste? What do I mean? Well, here that since marijuana sniffing dogs in Virginia, okay, they were used quite often. And it takes a lot of training when it comes to scent dogs. And I have some great stories that we're going to share with you. I'll give a little snippet today, but much more in depth as we get closer. So what happens is, what happens to these dogs when the state legalizes marijuana, which it did in Virginia? So they're no good anymore because people can get caught with it. It's legal. It's you know, decriminalized. So what they're doing now for a lot of these dogs, many of these counties in Virginia are taking these dogs that already have this amazing, amazing talent, okay? And they are 
retraining them to other drugs. They're retraining them to weapons, to shell casings, to at least put those noses to work. Because working dogs, when they are doing what they are trained to do, they love it. That is their thrill. Like I often joke, people say, do I play golf? I don't play golf. I go, well, actually, I play golf every day at my office. <laughs> Meaning for me, seeing my patients, that's my golf. It's, it's that much fun for me. But these dogs, once they're trained to work, they love to work. So you got to give them something to do to take that talent of theirs. Okay. And that's great. And I'm seeing uh, another thing about me, about the last about sneezing. When dogs sneeze, could it be also anxiety? It's possible also, but we have to, foxtail season is coming. So we have to give you a story about sneezing. We'll get to that in a minute. So we do know that dogs suffer from either CCD, canine cognitive dysfunction. Some call it CDS, cognitive dysfunction syndrome. They're the same thing. And it is basically doggy Alzheimer's. And so what's, what's being learned is that there are now some biomarkers that are detectable in blood tests. So we know that when you do an MRI of the brain, you'll see amyloid deposition, you'll see some cortical deficiency where the brain cortex starts to atrophy. So those things are picked up both on people and animals that have well, people with Alzheimer's, animals with CCD. So very, very similar. So it, it's it, what we're learning is that learning because of those similarities, anything that's discovered, and this happens often in medicine, by the way. Now, and I think there's becoming more of an appreciation that with research being done, parallel research being done in animals by veterinary scientists, that much of that information that is learned can be applied to human medicine as well. It used to be that very little work was done where we were at the forefront, veterinarians, and we, we tried stuff. You know, so it would hit the veterinary side 10 years after the humans have been doing it. That's not that same anymore because much of what we're learning is coming from the animal side, the veterinary side, and then being applicable to uh, people, to humans as well. So anyway, these studies are just improving our understanding. And it's great to know that there are, are actually ways to measure the problem and you know, right now, MRI in veterinary medicine is extremely expensive. Even if with insurance, um, it's not just something you say, oh yeah, I, I'm going to go in for like uh, when I had to have my MRI on my shoulder and when I when I tore my rotator cuff, I, you know, you sit there, you go, it, you know, I don't remember what it costs because insurance takes care of most of it. Not the same in veterinary medicine, and I get it. And you know, MRI might cost twenty five hundred bucks, and people just don't want to shell out twenty five hundred bucks. And then the question is, okay, so now I know my dog has this problem. Now I know my dog has this brain tumor. What are we going to do? You're going to do brain surgery next. So, you know, oftentimes, and I feel that if the result of a test is not going to change how you're going to handle or treat the case, then why do the test? Unless you have this burning desire to know. But when it gets to an, like a much older dog that is showing all the signs of, say, a neurologic, a brain defect, now what? Stick them on medication, steroids, you do what you can. But if there is that desire or if you're in a situation where there might be something that's surgically fixable, yes, then of course you do the test. So, uh, but anyway, it's, it's great to know and to have learned that these similarities are going to help both us veterinarians and it's going to help people as well. And I know there's a lot of people out there that knew people or know people that have dementia, Alzheimer's. So that's important. I'm sure you've seen this. I've seen it. I think all of us have seen it. You're sitting there with your dog who's sleeping and all of a sudden starts to paddle or starts, starts to bark. Are they dreaming or are they not? So yes, they are dreaming. And most experts believe that they can dream. But what's interesting is apparently one veterinary neuroscientist said there's a structure in the brain called the pons, and that inhibits this reacting or reliving 
the day's events. Now, they, they certainly dream about their day's events. If a dog is doing that, it's probably running or being chased. The vocalizing is probably protecting the house. Whatever happened maybe that day or the day before, they can relive it. But apparently what the pons does, it keeps it in check. So if that behavior becomes really excessive, where the dog is kind of jumping out of its bed, if you will, or even going so far as waking itself up, then that might indicate something wrong with the pons or another type of neurologic defect. And it's interesting because I thought back on my dogs. And yes, I mean, I've always had dogs that have had some degree of dreaming. And it's like, you know, you don't want to wake them up because, you know, you're in the middle of a good dream. It's like us. <laughs> you're in that good dream. You don't want to be woken up. You want to enjoy it. Now, if you're a little kid and it's a nightmare, then that's a different story. But when it comes to animals, they do dream. But if you have such a dog that is overzealous when it comes to what is happening in its dream, just, you know, you might want to mention it to your veterinarian because it might mean there is an underlying neurologic problem and they can look for that. that that's where maybe they can do the MRI <laughs> and you can spend 2500 bucks to find out that, yeah, your dog has pretty bad dreams. But anyway, a couple of more. Oh, this is a good one. So this became much more evident during the pandemic because people couldn't get out. And they needed things. They needed medication. They were using telemedicine. And all of a sudden, they are going on to the online pharmacy. They are self-prescribing, which many pet owners seem to do, thanks to Dr. Google, and who's giving some maybe not always such good advice. Anyway, they are going and they're ordering stuff online. Be very, very careful because what this study has shown, and they started researching these online sources. And I use the term pharmacies loosely because some of them are legitimate pharmacies, but unfortunately, some of them are really not that good and are selling truly counterfeit meds. I remember back in the day when Frontline first came out. Frontline, look, it's still safe. I say this all the time. It's very safe. Advantage and canine Advantix are very safe. They're just not that effective anymore because the fleas have become resistant to the medications, the Vipronil or the imidacloprid. It just happens over time. But I remember when Frontline was hot, this is going back 15, 18 years ago, and someone would come in with a box that they didn't get from us. And they were only sold exclusively through veterinarians. So where'd you get it? Well, their diverters were those that were diverting the meds. There were, there were a lot of stories about veterinarians buying, let's say they needed 50 boxes, but they bought a thousand boxes and they then went and sold to the pet stores or to a small mom and pop online pharmacy, the balance. So they made a little extra money being a middleman. They were doing it against the law because the companies didn't want them doing that. But long story short, we would get boxes that if you looked at the print, you could tell that they were copies, that the lines weren't as sharp. It was done through color type of copy machines. And it looked real, but it was everything was blurred. And you knew that it was fake and people buying it and maybe probably not working and uh, whatever. So one of those things that you really want to be very, very careful. They said that there are dangerous number of pets with complications from antiparasitics and injectable arthritis medications. That's the adequate probably. All right. And since the pandemic, so it's a polysulfate glycosaminoglycans, which is what adequate is very effective for joint disease but there's a lot of counterfeit stuff out there and some of them could be outright dangerous. So make sure if you're going to order online, speak to your veterinarian. Now, many of us now work with certain pharmacies. I know um, Vets First Choice and Vet Source are actually veterinary pharmacies working only with veterinarians. So veterinarian has to give the approval. Very easy to get. I know that some of the big competitors are like Chewy 
and 1-800-PET-MEDS, they are trying to break into the vet world. They're seeing how important that is. But I do believe most of this stuff is legit because I do know that, like, for example, a lot of the food companies are selling their prescription diets into these sources. And again, I get it from a business perspective. Why wouldn't you? You know, you go to your vet, your vet orders, you know, let's say your vet's going to order 50 boxes. Chewy's going to order a million boxes. So who would this manufacturer rather work with? The little guy who is selling, buying 50 or the, the big company that's going to buy a million. So it makes sense from a business perspective, but you don't want to poop on the, the source of the person who's got to approve it and who's got to write it and who you're relying on to educate their clients about the safety and efficacy of these products. So anyway, don't go away. We'll wrap back with these messages right here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio and my simulcast on Instagram Live. We'll be right back. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And we're back here live on Pet Life Radio. And uh, just so you know, we were just talking on Instagram about the question about uh, Black Russian Terrier, be large dogs, puppy, they go up and down stairs and the answer to any of those things yes anything that's normal behavior that's not excessive is fine i don't want them running up and down stairs like all day long but to go up and down stairs just as when they have to go up at the end of the day if they, if they sleep upstairs and going downstairs in the morning that's fine so the age they can do it is whenever they can do it if they're not ready because they're too small then don't, don't nothing you have to force trust me they will learn i've never had a dog i had one story though of what this is a funny story so my uh my last labradoodle he was a nut a crazy nut so in the morning we you know bedrooms upstairs they all slept up upstairs he would literally all the dogs would charge down the stairs well here he was a clumsy puppy charging down the stairs following all the other ones and all of a sudden he lost his footing and he slid down half the staircase and then hit a wall on the other side of the staircase he went flying and wait a minute now instead of thinking that oh my god i am a nut i gotta chill out i gotta slow down this is crazy no it was the stairs fault so he would not go near stairs. It took about almost a month to get him comfortable enough to try going up and then ultimately downstairs much more slowly. But it's funny how they relate to things that it wasn't he that created the problem by being a goofball. No, it was the stairs fault. So uh, anyway, if your puppy had a bad experience and doesn't want to use stairs, it's not because of an age thing. It's because of something that may have happened to him. So it's a nine-year-old boxer. First of all, boxers, unfortunately, well, they used to be number one. Now, I guess if there's any good news, now they're the number two cancer dog to the golden retriever. But they do get a lot of cancers and the best you can do. But my issue with raw is how it is produced 
and how it's developed and processed. Raw meat by itself, I have concerns with, just like eating raw fish. As we talked about a week ago or a couple of weeks ago, when you eat sushi, and I love sushi, this is what they call sushi grade. You don't just get regular fish and start eating it raw, just like you shouldn't just get regular meat and eat it raw because there are parasites. And uh, yeah, between salmonella, E. coli, Campylobacter, Listeria, these are the, a lot of the foods that have been implicated and recalled because of raw foods in the veterinary world. So one needs to be careful. Now, if they go through a process of either freeze-dry or high-pressure pasteurization and, and to eliminate the threat of those bacteria, then raw is fine. And a lot of people like it because it is loaded with nutrients. But, you know, we usually what they do with kibbles, for first of all, understand, kibbles are more fattening than raw meats because it's a lot of carbs in kibble. But the dry food, a lot of dogs like it. I mean, my dogs, I have two dogs that would much prefer a bowl of dry food than good meat. It's crazy, but it is what it is. So I don't like to say this is anything that's better than another because I'm not the one that has to eat it. It's what the dogs prefer. But if you were to be a little more conscientious, then I would just watch the calories. For a dog, a boxer who's nine years old, obesity is going to be a problem because as they get older, they start doing less. As they do less on the same amount of food, they gain weight. It makes sense. So you want to start cutting back a little bit. And again, if you find the right raw food and it is well processed and you trust the food, no problems, do your homework, then absolutely I'm okay with raw. I, look, my optimum was raw, but we did both freeze-dried and HPP, high-pressure pasteurization. So it's not like I'm against raw, like a category, but I am against raw or any food that is poorly processed or has problems or is not stored well or whatever, whatever. So these are the things that's more important. Okay, one more story, and then I'll open it up to, I want to do that talk about from Chase about the um, neutering, on a, especially a big dog. Oh, if you live in New York City, anyone from New York City around, just an FYI, <laughs> the rat sightings, all right, have surged more than a 60% increase in the number of rats being seen and reported in New York City as compared to the same time frame. This is the first four months of 2022 compared to 2019. So interestingly, we, amongst other things, rats also carry leptospirosis. So because of the very large number of rats hanging around New York City, one of the reasons why I don't think I would want to live in New York City, but for those that love New York City, just know there are a lot of rats out there. Be careful. And if you have dogs, that you should probably have uh, talked to your veterinarian, but you might want to have them protected against leptospirosis as well because it's shed in rat urine. And rats love to hang around, you know, alleyways, backs of restaurants, trash bins. It's recommended that you should padlock, not just close them, but padlock the trash bins because rats are getting in there and they're leaving behind uh, what they normally leave behind. So there was a question that came up and I want to get to it real quickly about Tucker, the chocolate lab is coming over to play with Odin. Curious if you could talk about how neutering timelines have changed recently. And they have. So there's a lot of issues related to neutering and behavior, development, tumors, etc. And when it comes to large breed males, there was a study that came out years ago, we've talked about it before, but for those of you who knew and haven't heard it, I find it extremely significant. They were studying Rottweilers, aging in Rottweilers. It was just, they were covering soup to nuts and just data from epidemiologists, from veterinarians, just everything about Rottweilers. And as they were putting everything through the computers for statistical analysis, they came up with a very interesting fact that they had, I mean, no, who would think? Check this out. In the male, 
a 65% greater incidence of long bone cancer in males that were prepubertally neutered. And in the female, a 35% greater incidence in the females that were pre-pubertally spayed. Well, what does that tell you? It tells me that there is some effect, a positive effect on bone growth. Osteosarcoma is a terrible bone cancer that protects that bone from osteosarcoma later on in life. So nothing to do with genetics. It is the fact that, so I look at it this way. Again, I heard some of the veterinarians say, well, that was on Rottweilers. Oh, really? Like bone cancer knows the difference. Wouldn't you think that whatever it is that is affecting this in Rottweilers, which is a large breed dog that gets bone cancer, would affect any large breed dog that gets bone cancer. And pretty much all of the large breed dogs are subjected to bone cancer. So in that reason, I have now pushed back on neutering. I want them to become fully sexually mature. A lot of breeders now are jumping on the bandwagon. Not only a year, they're pushing a year and a half. They're pushing even two years. And golden retriever enthusiasts now have shown studies, got one coming out of Davis, still a lot more work to do. So don't panic, golden retriever lovers. But some of them are saying, now that they know what they know, they will never spay or neuter a golden. So they've actually seen more cancers, more a higher percentage of certain cancers in the spayed and neutered goldens over those that were not spayed and neutered. Now you still have problems with non-spayed and neutered, but if you look at the, the big picture of all the cancers, so I find that interesting. They looked at the same thing in Labrador retrievers, which are very similar in stature. They you know very similar looking except for the coat. And um, they did not find the same statistics in the Labrador retriever. So labs and other breed dogs, I still think it's better to neuter. And truth is that when you go to certain municipalities, dog parks and, and daycare facilities, they won't even take them if they're not spayed or neutered. So you're kind of stuck because unless you're going to keep your dog only to yourself in your backyard, not taking any place else, I guess then you cannot spay or neuter. And also cities like Los Angeles, most major municipalities, if you're going to license your dog, and we should, but if you are going to, then the fee to license a non-spayed or neutered dog is like not just twice as much, it's like five times as much money to license a non-neutered or non-spayed dog because, of course, they think you're going to do it for breeding and, and whatever. So my recommendation is for big dogs, wait at least a year. If you can push a year and a half, that's okay. But if you are in a situation where you cannot board your dog, you cannot take your dog to daycare, you're kind of stuck, then I would say the earliest I would do. In fact, oh, I work with a lot of rescues. And with the rescues, they get it. They know this, but they also know the problem with overpopulation and what's going on with these dogs that they're, they're adopting out. So they are pushing for six, seven months as soon as their adult teeth are in, kind of like we used to do. And I fight them and I fight them. And I often will come up to a compromise and that would be nine months. So in fact, I just had to spay a nine-month-old dog because of these issues. So it's hard to tell. It's a lifestyle. It's an attitude. It's whatever homework you've done and learned about these things, I'm, I'm okay with. But you have to do what's right for you. But my recommendation is to wait as long as you can. Now, with a female, let's go backwards. You don't want the female, again, excluding the golden retriever discussion, let's talk all the other dogs, all the other breeds. Now you want them to have the first heat. We used to spay them early before their first heat. Now we're realizing there are some other developmental issues if you spay them too early. So now we're saying, you know what? Let them have their first heat. Let them reach full sexual maturity. And let's spay them before their second heat. Now, 
typically, if the dog read the same book that we've read, they're supposed to come in a heat at seven months. There are a lot of breeds now that are, are bigger breeds, especially they don't get their first heat till eight or nine or 10 months. Then they're usually seven, every seven months thereafter. So my recommendation for large breed female dogs is let them have their first heat, let them all have the first heat, but especially these, and then spay them around between 11 and 12 months of age. Now, if their first heat came very late, like at nine months, then spay them at 13 months, 14 months, but whatever, do not let them have their second heat. That's very important. All right, that's all we have time for today. I hope you enjoyed your shows. If there's anything that you want to talk about, please, you can reach out to me. Easy to get a hold of, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com, Dr. Jeff at DrJeff.com, Jeff at AirVet.com, or here on Instagram. And uh, I'll be happy to discuss anything with you to help you with your pets, because that's what I do. Plain and simple. And uh, have a great week, everybody. As I said, it will be, I'll be coming to you hopefully live next week from Las Vegas. And um, anyway, other than that, have a good week. And if you're, you're getting, love to hear questions, so please send them to me. All right. See you next week. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.